The International Science Council works at the global level to catalyze and convene scientific expertise, advice, and influence on issues of major concern to both science and society. In this podcast series dedicated to women in science around the world, we discuss gender equality in science systems, sharing initiatives and experiences in ways that go beyond mere gender awareness in favor of effective, transformative action. Brought to you by the International Science Council, advancing science for the global public good. In this episode, we speak with Lydia Sosas Vargas, a researcher at the National Scientific Research Center at the Sorbonne University in Paris, France. Originally from Mexico, Lydia has completed postdoctoral work in both Japan and the United Kingdom. Lydia's areas of research are in synthetic organic chemistry and organic electronics. Lydia speaks with us about imposter syndrome and the importance of creating initiative for women scientists to support one another. Hi, Lydia. Thanks so much for coming down to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. Could you give us a brief introduction of yourself and your field of study? Yes. So I'm a materials chemist. Um, I'm a researcher working at the CNRS and also Sorbonne University. I'm originally from Mexico, but uh, I'm working. I have a permanent position here in France. Could you talk a little bit about gender equality in your home country of Mexico and how this has affected your career trajectory, whether that's positively or negatively? Uh, I've been through a roller coaster throughout my life uh, concerning this uh, this uh, gender issue because uh, Mexico is a culturally very macho country. So, uh, but on the other hand, I was not raised in a macho environment. My father raised me believing that I can do whatever I want to do, so that was good. But encountering this, um, these problems with gender bias throughout my whole childhood, it kind of like, um, shaped me in a negative way. Like I, I was, I never had the, the confidence that I would have had if I had been raised, uh, for example, here in France, which is what I see with the, the, the younger generation that the, the way they were brought up with is completely different, uh, as I grew up. Can you recall a specific experience where you dealt with this sort of macho culture in Mexico and, a way that it affected or shaped the way you th- thought about science? Yes, the idea that uh, as a woman, you cannot be a leader in your field. You arrived at that position either because you are too dominant, which is taken in a wrong way if it comes from a woman, if uh, also because you've slept somebody or because of the way you look. What inspired you to become interested in gender equality? I think it's because of uh, the position that I am now as a researcher. Uh, I'm, uh, I have the independence to do what I want, but also I feel it is one of, it's my obligation, my professional obligation to, um, to help the, the younger generation and especially so that girls don't go through the same thing that I did. So this is why, like, on a side, of my research, I'm also involved in a lot of activities related to getting women together, which is I, I am organizing a, a global breakfast, which is with the IUPAC, which is an international union of pure and applied chemistry. And it's an event uh, to empower and to bring women together. And I also do a lot of outreach activities because I think it is my way to give back. What inspired you to pursue chemistry? It was predetermined because my family, I come from a family of chemists, so that kind of had a hand into it. But 
uh, I actually went uh, in a completely different route to what uh, my my parents did because of a good professor I had in my undergraduate. It was actually her, thanks to her, that I decided to go into this part of chemistry, which is organic chemistry. In what ways did she sort of did provide you with a positive reinforcement? And how, how was she a role model for you as a woman in science? Did you kind of look at her and say, okay, she's doing this. I can do this too. This is a possibility for women. Yes, because she was actually like the, the role she had, the role she portrayed was exactly what I wanted to be and what I thought I wasn't able to as a girl. So she was uh, an independent researcher who was well respected by her peers, who had traveled around the world and who stayed uh, close and was always trying to interact uh, with, with her students. What sort of changes do you think, looking at Mexico specifically, what sort of systematic changes need to happen in order to inspire young women to break out of these more traditional roles and pursue things like science and chemistry? I think that right now there has been a big uh, movement all over Latin America concerning this subject. There is a lot of like bottom-up approaches. There is a lot of top-down approaches as well, which have been carried out uh, by by the government and the institutions. But what I really think is necessary is some support in the middle stages, some support for the women who are already there, for the women who are doing the research, for the women who are teaching the classes, teaching the undergrads. They're the ones who, who need the support right now. What kind of support would that be? What would that take the form of? It's most, I think it has to do with the way you value and you measure productivity in research. We as researchers are, are graded as uh, how many articles you publish, what is their impact factor, how many grants you obtained. But there are also a lot of things, a lot of roles that women take uh, take on board that are not really valued, which is the mentoring, which is the organizing these type of outreach things. All these things are seen as uh, with not the same value as having as uh, writing the articles, but I think they have actually a larger effect, a larger impact. So this is where they need to be valued as well for the job that they do. So if you were to look back at yourself in the beginning of your career, what sort what sort of support would have been helpful for you, or what what do you wish you had in terms of support for being a woman pursuing the field that you're in? Um, I think mostly to make our peers aware that this is a problem, that this is not how it should be. We know that now, like we're, if we were in a different country, but in Mexico or in other countries uh, with this kind of similar culture, you always think the, the, the sexist comments are that can be just uh, brushed off, that it's a joke, that you should not take it personally. So it's, it's make the people around you aware that it is not okay. Mm. Can you give an example of some of the comments that you would receive or a situation perhaps where you felt really on the outside being a woman? Well, just the fact that uh, you, when they come and approach you, they are not uh, approaching you to discuss science. They're, uh, people are approaching you or men are approaching you to, to ask you out or to tell you that you look pretty or to tell you to smile more because uh, you should. So, yeah. These are the things that I've, I've encountered. Have you noticed any change over the years and any evolution in a positive way in gender equality in Mexico? Or have things stayed relatively stagnant? No, I think uh, since I left, which was uh, 
more than 10 years ago, things have changed a lot. Like girls have a lot more confidence to say no and to know what they want and to know that they, they can get there. But um, I think uh, there is still a lot of work to be done. I don't think it's something that hmm. needs to stop. In your field, are you working on any projects currently that you're particularly proud of or projects that you've worked on in the past that address organic chemistry and gender or both combined? Well, uh, right now I have, uh, I've only just started as a permanent researcher, so I'm uh, developing my, my project, which is based mostly on uh, creating um, or building new molecules that can form more efficient devices in organic electronics. Orga organic electronics are, for example, in the LCD uh, screens that you see or the OLEDs. So my point is, uh, or my goal is as a chemist to try to find a more efficient way to make these devices by using, um, for example, uh, nanomaterials, which are right now uh, in vogue, and also to, to do it in a sustainable way because uh, we cannot keep on working the same way that we used to do 50 or 100 years before, like a lot of elements are running out uh, in the next uh, 100 years. So it's really important that we really reroute our chemistry and try to find uh, better ways of, of making new materials, sustainable materials. Mm. So in terms of gender equality, I think you mentioned some initiatives or projects that you're working on for gender equality? Yes, so I'm working right now with the IUPAC, which is the International Union of, of Pure and Applied Chemistry. And they started this initiative to call the Global Women's Breakfast. So last year, their first event had the general theme called uh, Empowering Women. And uh, it was a way to get women together in each part of the world to organize little breakfasts and start this uh, building this network of, of female chemists. So this year, uh, I'm organizing the, the event again with some of my colleagues at Sorbonne, which is going to be tomorrow. And the theme is building bonds to create future leaders. So in this, uh, in this uh, breakfast that we're going to have, our goals are, first of all, to break stereotypes, gender stereotypes, um, profession stereotypes, all related to chemistry. And later on, try to figure out what is a leader how self-censorship affects us and prevents us to become leaders, and also how to break the different glass ceilings that there are. So the, these are the things that I'm involved with. How would you define self-censorship? It's I have a problem with that because uh, it's something that I think a lot of us suffer from, that we think we are never good enough. There is always a reason for not to do something, not to try something, not to speak out. Because you always think uh, you may not be the first person to do it. There's a lot of things related to the imposter syndrome that I think is very common throughout uh, science and especially in women. And so, yeah. So what sorts of things need to happen in order to bridge these issues? For example, what are you doing at the breakfast that's... I think one thing really important is to make people aware that this exists. Some people think that it just happens to them, that there isn't actually... Uh, a concept that defines this. I actually didn't know about it until a couple of years ago. And when I found that this is what I had or what I suffered from, it, it makes it easier to understand and see what you can do to go against it. So the first thing is to make people aware that this exists. Not only that, but also the opposite of the, the imposter syndrome, which is the Dunning-Kruger effect, 
which is when people have a really high self-esteem of themselves, even if they don't know anything about the subject. Mm. Can you speak about a time perhaps when you felt imposter syndrome very strongly in a situation perhaps in your research or in your education? Well, I feel it every day. <laughs> Uh, every day at work when I'm trying to justify if I was the right person to be recruited for the post, if I am doing enough to advance the science in my field, if who am I to be speaking of uh, of gender issues when I myself uh, haven't come to terms or, or still am biased in some way. So I think uh, I'm questioning myself all the time, but I'm also learning at the same time that it's uh, normal and it's good that I'm questioning myself. Yeah. So the Global Women's Breakfast, is that comprised of women who are in sciences or is this attracting women to science and people who are perhaps interested in it? Um, last year was trying to get together people who were already in science. But this year, what we wanted to do is to reach out. So we've invited uh, high school students uh, from the from the schools around us, uh, anyone who is interested in chemistry. And so h- how long have you been in France for now? Uh, five years. So what have you noticed, if you've noticed anything, in the differences between workplace culture in Mexico in terms of gender equality and workplace culture in France? Are there any tangible or really prominent differences that you've noticed in terms of progression? Maybe I cannot compare so much because they're in different time time, uh, scales, Um, but it is very different. I am right now working in a team where there is pretty much a 50-50 women-to-men ratio, which which makes all the difference. I have never felt uh, judged uh, by my gender or criticized because of my gender at work. I have always been supported by by my directors, uh, male or female, and there is a very strong uh, community feeling where I am, which is something that I think is related also to the fact that Funding is a lot, it's still not enough, but it is still a lot more than what you get in Mexico. So then it makes it, you have less funding, so you have people competing more and more, and that brings out all these negative uh, feelings and uh, actions. If you could look back on yourself as a young scientist again, what advice would you give yourself or what advice would you give a young woman that was in the same position as you were when you were just starting out? Find what you love to do, do it with passion. And if you're not appreciated where you are, find your people. Because find an environment where all your passions, all all the things that you are good at, you, you can find a place to nurture them. Thank you very much, Lydia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ISC Presents Women in Science. For more information on the International Science Council's initiatives to address gender equality around the world, go to our website, council.science/podcasts.